Welcome, and glad to have you with us on Carry On Guns. And Chuck Basie is in, former state representative, Second Amendment supporter here in uh, the state of Missouri. Chuck, good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, and you brought along Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. Uh, good morning, and also uh, let us say good morning to Garson from Graphs, who brought along some neat things that we're going to talk about. It's show and tell. But before we do, I got a message uh, from GaryNolan.com from Steve. And uh, Garson, it's for you. At an opportune, an appropriate time, he writes, on today's show, will you please discuss the use of red dot sights and scopes on lever-action rifles, please provide some suggestions of some models of each that would work well on a lever-action rifle. Um, so, depending on the mounting system you're able to get, most scopes can be used on a lever gun. Uh, I mean, red dots, since, they're, since there's no eye relief and are generally quite compact or very easy to mount on them, um, my favorite method is the Ultimac rail, um, so it's a scout-style mount, so it mounts ahead of the receiver, um, and then I use a, a, a scout scope, so medium eye relief optic, um, which is a great little quick acquisition, um, you know, low-power magnification optic. Um, I, I feel that that's the best, well, for what I'm doing, that's the best option for me to optic a lever gun, and being left-handed, I have a number of lever guns because I never got bolt guns. <laughs> mm. Always got lever guns as gifts. Um, so, yeah, that's my favorite. The red dots, um, you know, the, the the dots on a lot of those are so big that it's not as accurate as the iron sights. So on a red dot side of things, I'd probably be more inclined to use the iron sights um, than, than to do a red dot. But the, the scout scope or, or a regular magnified optic uh, so especially if you can find a, a side mount for it, or if you uh, uh, have a model that can be drilled and tapped, uh, or is drilled and tapped for a regular uh, scope base that will take a, a regular eye relief scope, um, uh, definitely handy. And um, um, especially with you know Hornady's new FTX bullets, or not new, I guess they've been out for a long time, but um, those those improve the ballistics of a lot of uh, the the higher pressure uh, lever gun cartridges. So you can reach out a lot farther than used to, uh, making that scope all that more important to have. I uh, I'm wondering, are, are laser sights falling out of uh, out of favor? No, um, Crimson Trace and Laser Max still they're still out there churning out lasers for a lot of handguns and 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 more rifles nowadays too. Which would you prefer, the the laser or like a green dot or a red dot? Um. For a carry gun, I would have to go with uh, like a red dot optic because it's going to be easier for me to get a holster for it, um, especially especially if I'm trying to conceal carry. Um, there's plenty of so like I've got a an Omnivore holster, which allows me to y use the gun's uh, light laser module for retention. So the so the holster actually attaches to um, whatever. So on the, in this case, I have a TLR1, so it attaches to the TLR1. So any gun that I can fit the TLR1 to will fit in the holster because it's not indexing off the gun, it's indexing off the light. Um, so if I had a concealed carry holster like that that was, you know, inside the waistband, um, I'd have no problems carrying a laser. 
Um, now, the laser maxes are great because they replace the gun's guide rod, so it does not change the outside um, you know, frame of the gun, so it still fits in any holster that the gun would have fit in before you added the laser. But I, those batteries are so hard to find. That's, I, I'm really lazy, and I, I hate having to find those batteries. And I've wondered how that affects the function and reliability and durability when you replace the guide rod with... It doesn't. Um, really? Yeah. Um, when I worked at Target Masters, I installed those all the time. And the biggest drawback was... So, like on the Glock, the takedown lever became the on-off switch. So, if you were carrying it, it was kind of easy to knock that in. And you'd yeah. run down your battery because it would be on in, in your holster and you wouldn't know it. So, I, I in the battery packs, it's it's a bunch of button batteries that are in a piece of shrink tube to make a battery stick. Do you and, have to break it down to change the batteries? Well, no, you just had to find the, a pre-made battery stick from LaserMax, and, you know, it wasn't always the easiest thing to find. Um, or if we had to order them, sometimes they wouldn't be in stock. So that that was the downside to that. But I did I do prefer that laser because it's a flashing, it's an intermittent laser. So, you know, it's it, it if it's not that dark, it's easier to find because it's blinking. <coughs> Um, so it just attracts your eye that much easier than a solid red light, a red light that, you know, maybe mixed in with some background, um, foliage or, or whatever, and, and not as easy to pick up with the eye. Uh, I've resisted getting either, uh, either one, but on this uh, most recent purchase, I did get a green dot and God, I love it. I really, really like it. Uh, Chuck, do you, do you have either? Green dot or a, la a red dot or a laser? I have a red dot and I, a laser, but I don't have a green dot, I don't think. But between the red dot and the laser, which one do you prefer? Um, I kind of like the red dot. Yeah, it, it, it just, yeah. I really am enjoying this. It just... Yeah, they're very nice. Fun to shoot. Dale, I'm sure you've got one of each. Um, yeah, I have some, and I, you know... It's funny, I was talking to somebody at physical therapy about this on Thursday, that, you know, a laser, when you see it on the target or on something, you really, it really emphasizes how much your hand moves. Yeah. And for a lot of people, the more you tighten up and try and control it, the worse it gets. <laughs> um, and it, for a lot of people, I think, <laughs> excuse me, it just freaks them out. Yeah, um, it is amazing how much your hand, just those little, it, it just, it, it's not wide uh, movement, it's just, you know, very short, sort of. D Dale sells, says that as he pours his fourth cup of coffee, coffee of the morning. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and trying to inhale it instead of drink it, <laughs> which is never, ever a good idea. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's do show and tell. We got a Ruger Super Red Hawk here, forty four Magnum. God, that is pretty. Yeah, I'm going to name this one Chuck's uh, impending beatdown. <laughs> 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 I, I don't want his wife mad at me, so I probably won't sell it to him. I guess, but <laughs> this is um, yeah Ruger's large, larger frame uh, revolver, and. Uh, this is in a nine and a half inch barrel, uh, so it's Ruger's. It's a bull barrel, basically. Um, so, uh, hunting uh, handgun shooters. This is this is right up your alley. Um, this has you know Ruger's uh, little dovetail scope mount on it. So, 
throw a, throw an optic on there and go bag yourself uh, some deer or you know whatever whatever your preferred game is um, in handgun season and give yourself that extra challenge of uh, handgun hunting. Um, awesome way to uh, to pack out light um, instead of you know a full size rifle, especially if you're in some rugged country, um, and it makes for a much more challenging hunt. Uh, so good times there. Um, this is yeah, this is just a beast. Um, about four pounds, I'm guessing. Um, maybe three and a half. Uh, let's see what the computer says. Fifty-eight ounces. So whatever that breaks down to. <laughs> well, it's got grippy. I mean that. Yeah, um, Hogue's uh, monogrip. So they're nice, big, cushy rubber grip uh, with that pebble texture finish. So good grip on that. Um, and this, you know, this isn't you know one of those stupid, stupid large calibers that's going to hurt every time you shoot it. This is you know big enough to kill game, but uh, you know small enough that it's not going to make it unpleasant to shoot all the time. Um, but, you know, Ruger, Ruger overbuilds all their guns. So this thing will, you know, your grandkids, you know, if they're still allowed to own one, uh, will be able to shoot this thing, no problem. That is a pretty gun. Uh, you also brought in a, a Colt 1911, and that is really pretty, too. Yeah, this thing is, uh, this thing is awesome. It Go is a Talo Special Edition. So this is one of 500. Uh, it, I don't see the, oh, yeah, so this is a... Uh, 128 of 500. So they've got a special serial number range that begins J-A-L. Um, and this is called the Dark Horse Edition. Uh, so this is a 1911 um, in two-tone. So uh, it's got electro electroless nickel on the slide on the sides. Uh, kind of a bead-blasted uh, satin finish on the top. But this is an A1 pattern gun. So um, Regular ten in front sight, uh, the the regular spur hammer, and um, the A one the A one safety. So it's it's an older older generation as far as the styling goes, but um, it does have it does have fancy wood grips with a uh, um, rampant pony there on inlaid in the grip. And I think that's I think that's metal. I can't tell if that's metal or plastic. But it's. 38 Super, But, right? yeah, it is 38 Super. Um, Beautiful-looking gun. This nickel finish has is, is got a high polish on it, and it's it's mirror shiny. It's just amazing. Um, but, yeah, so Talo is a distributor, and they're big enough that they custom order special guns or special runs of guns. So you'll see a bunch of stuff that's a Talo exclusive, and that's because they, they forked up the money to have that made and produced. Um... And this one... Well, I'll I tell you what, we're up against the clock. we got to take a quick break. We're going to come right back uh, and wrap up uh, show and tell because we've got another uh, another firearm here that we're going to talk about. You're listening to Gary on Guns. Welcome. Chuck Basie with us, former state legislator here in the state of Missouri. We also have Dale Roberts, attorney, and uh, his webpage is mogunlaw.com. Garson is in from Graffs. He's brought in some terrific firearms. Uh, we didn't get to this uh, final firearm. It is a Colt Python, and it is a pretty gun, too. Yes, and this one's not even on their website. It's a three-inch Python, um, and they're only showing a four-and-a-quarter and a, a six-inch on the website. So, And we got, like, three of these bad boys in. Um, we got a big shipment of Python, so we got a, we got a number of Colt revolvers in stock right now. But, uh, yeah, uh, so this one's all nickel with uh, wood grips. Um, 
orange front sight, adjustable rears. Um, 357. Yeah, 357. I'm not sure. Are these laminate? I can't tell if these grips are laminate. I think they're laminate. Um, but uh, good checkering on them. And then Colt logo on both sides embossed or uh, uh, sunken into the grip. Um, so nice little gun. Trigger on it's good. Uh, smooth, smooth trigger. Um, pull weight's decent. I mean, it's it's not a target trigger, but you don't you don't really need a target trigger with a uh, with a trigger that's as smooth as this one. It's uh, it's super clean, uh, as are most of the other ones I played with at the shop before. I just decided to grab this one and bring it. <laughs> uh, oh, that is neat. But yeah, full underlug barrel on this guy, and then the uh, the sight rib has got a I guess a lightning cut on it, which um, I I thought looked a little out of place on it, but. Um, uh, it's kind of growing on me. I, it kind of it kind of breaks up that huge barrel and underlug. Um, yeah. So good looking gun. Uh, good carry size. Um, not too big. Not too small. Um, so it's not like a little snub nose. But uh, it's it's going to be you know if you're looking for a carry gun in a revolver, a lot easier to carry than the four inch or the six inch. Um, so. Um, and and the with weight, some real stopping power. The weight's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And you know, these are these are notoriously accurate um, from what from what people have been saying about all the new Colt revolvers that have been uh, re-released here in the last couple years. That, that was my question: is about the quality of the of Colt now compared to? Yeah. So Colt is owned by CZ. Oh. Um, and they also own Dan Wesson. Right. So another oh, oh, yeah, another yeah, high yeah. end absolutely manufacturer. And um, I, I've never owned a CZ that has not been accurate. So if they're applying the same manufacturing standards from CZ to Colt and Dan Wesson, um, I, I can only believe that that improves the product line overall across the board. Because um, they're, they're definitely pulling Colt out of the hole that um, previous management had dug themselves. So I, I think Colt is, Colt is back. And um, you know, not not under U.S. ownership, unfortunately, but um, you know, it's it's they're still they're still made here. They haven't moved production offshore, so um, in fact, they they've brought more CZ production to the U.S. So if anything, they're they're you know um, being good stewards of of this company while making you know some of their products here in the U.S. as well now. So I think that's you know a benefit to us all. But, and you've got a few of these, you said? Yeah, we got three of these bad boys in. I don't know how we got so lucky. Um, but we got these. We got a couple other Colts. Um, I think there was two or three other 1911s I didn't even get around to looking at because I, I saw this shiny bad boy, and um, that was the first one I picked up. <laughs> That's all it took. Yeah. Uh, we're glad you brought it in. It is neat. It'll be available. Uh, in fact, it is available at Graf's because they got a couple more down there uh, in Mexico, Missouri. Absolutely worth the ride. You know, if if there's anything I enjoy even more than guns, it's cars. <laughs> I'm a car guy. I was going to say, I, so I got another root, one of these Ruger Super Red Hawks at the shop, too. We got two of those. The only gun that there's not a duplicate of is this one of 500 1911. Okay, so, and that'll be down there when? That'll be back on Monday. People could call and reserve it, though, couldn't they? Yeah, Somebody... I mean, unless I find... Twenty three hundred bucks under my pillow when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, listen, 
Uh, I do. I am a car guy. I love cars. Um, I, I get bored with the same car for too long. I know it's economically foolish to get rid of them. Uh, I've had uh, it, it, Luxo Land Yachts. I had a 76. You guys will remember that 76 Elder Wallow uh, white, uh, <laughs> red and white uh, Cadillac. Uh, Dodge Hemi uh, Challenger. I, 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 I just, I love cars. Be great. It would be just great if I could find a car show. I love car shows. Well, well, well so funny you would say that. The American Legion. Funny you should ask Bigfoot Breath. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Uh, yeah, the American Legion Post in Columbia, uh, here in Columbia, is having a car, truck, and bike show today. Starts at 11 o'clock. And uh, you know, there'll be an assortment of cars from all different years. Trucks and bikes, too. Uh, gun raffle you know, games, uh, cornhole competition, prizes, food, cold drinks, uh, a couple of uh, service agencies that serve veterans there to provide help if anybody needs it. Uh, they're supposed to have the the folks there who can make you a dog tag on the spot if, if they're able to get there with their machine. Uh, and the money goes for American Legion scholarships. So it should be a great event. Last year... They had a, uh, oh, what year would it be? I don't know, 64, six, some 60s Corvair Monza that was ah. just a cream puff. And they had a 66 GTO that just made me want to write bad checks. Um, just beautiful car. 66, 67 Pontiac GTO is my favorite version yeah. of, that, of that car. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of writing bad checks... I was driving somewhere and huh. saw a late 50s caddy with the suicide doors. Oh, the 57 oh. Eldorado Brougham. Yeah. And oh, like, yeah. I, 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 it took everything I had not to stop and pull in and start checking it out because I was like, <laughs> I, I need one of these. Oh. That's one with the stainless steel I deserve steel one of these. Yes. Yeah, Gary, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love those. And it, it was on a lot for sale. I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself. I may go drive back out there today. Well, this is... <laughs> You know, free admission, car show. You know, people can just come out and uh, join the fun. Little kids can look at the Sheridan tank that we have sitting out there in, in addition to all the other vehicles and uh, have a good time. And are they rating the cars and bikes and things yes. like that? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. if I bring my Schwinn in, uh, they'll... <laughs> they probably would. Yeah. Uh, First in class. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you know, the CPO, CPOA handgun competition when I was there... State Representative Sarah Walsh, speaking of first in class, was first in class. Uh, she was the number one shooter with revolvers. She was really? The, she was the only shooter with revolvers. <laughs> ah. but she was number one. Speaking That's... of first in class. But yes, at 3.30 this afternoon, they will do the awards on the vehicles. Is that the same one that I came in six? Uh, all right. <laughs> Dale, six from the bottom. Six from the bottom. Six from the bottom, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, when we come back, Dr. John Lott is going to be on board. A bet that he has laid out for the anti-gunners and the hubris of Hunter Biden and his law and his legal team. Coming up on Gary on Gun. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm pleased to tell you that uh, Dale Roberts is in. Uh, his, uh, his website is mogunlaw.com. He is, of course, an attorney and a friend of ours. Uh, then we have uh, former state representative Chuck Basie. Uh, he is in with Garson from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. And uh, if that's not enough, we got Dr. John Lott on the program. 
Uh, and uh, if you... Uh, if you want uh, to get a lot of information about gun laws, you go to his website, crimeresearch.org. When somebody throws out some some detail that you question about guns, go to crimeresearch.org, because uh, that's where you'll get the truth. John, welcome back to the program. We're glad to have you with us. Um, I want to talk about, if you don't mind, at least spend a few minutes talking about the hubris of the defense team uh, for the president's son, uh, I, I'm sort of stunned at, at what they're doing, uh, what they're proclaiming for their their defense of Hunter Biden. Yeah, it, it is pretty funny. Uh, after all the attacks that uh, Biden has leveled against the Supreme Court for their decision in Bruin last year, which struck down uh, these, uh, New York's concealed carry rules because of uh, their May issue requirement where you had to go and get permission, essentially, uh, provide a good reason to, to a public official for why you should be able to go and protect yourself outside your home. Uh, you end up having uh, the president's son, Hunter Biden, if he ever does eventually get charged for this obvious violation of federal law when he bought the gun. Uh, he's relying on this Bruin case. Uh, <laughs> what happened here is that uh, he was obviously a drug addict uh, by his own admission. When he when he bought the gun, uh, he filled out the 4473, and one of the questions that are there deals with whether or not you are using prohibited substances. And uh, he was using cocaine and, as well as other things. And uh, uh, so he was violating federal law and he committed perjury, uh, as with all these other violations of the law that uh, Hunter Biden has engaged in. The FBI seems to be slow walking uh, these things in the Department of Justice. But if they do charge him, uh, Hunter's lawyers have made it clear that they are going to rely on the Bruin case, essentially saying that uh, background checks are unconstitutional. <laughs> Uh, the Bruin, which I think they're going to have a hard time in a, in a way doing it, but it's probably the only defense that they have. The uh, uh, the Bruin decision said, look, uh, in determining whether a gun control law is constitutional, you go and look at the wording of uh, the Second Amendment. If that's not clear, you go and look at the legislative debate that occurred when it was adopted. And if that isn't dispository, then uh, what you do is you go to see what laws were in effect, either in 1791 when the Second Amendment was adopted or in 1868 when uh, uh, the 14th Amendment applied uh, the Second Amendment to the state. And since there were no background checks at that time, uh, at either of those points in time, uh, they're going to argue that uh, these background checks are unconstitutional. So it's just pretty funny. I mean, here you have a president who I don't know how many times has talked about uh, expanding the background checks to include all private transfers of guns. Um, and his son is, uh, is trying to argue that any type of background check, including the ones that are already in existence, are unconstitutional. Let me ask the legal beagle here, the attorney, Dale. Uh, Dale, if if it were decided that via Bruin that uh, background checks 
<coughs> are unconstitutional, uh, and you lied or committed perjury in response to an unconstitutional uh, background check, would it still uh, would would you still get charged with perjury? You, um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. <coughs> sorry, it's my allergies. It was you. You lied. It was the law was in place at the time that you lied. I think it would still stand, even if the law is dis- determined to be unconstitutional. Uh, I, uh, I think you would have a, a, a get out of free jail card there. I think the problem that they face is that the judges, justices were actually divided on the case. You have four people four justices, uh, including Thomas, who were clear about uh, what types of rules to go and evaluate uh, the, you know, this gun control laws were. Uh, But then you had Kavanaugh and Roberts, while they said that they agreed with the analysis that Thomas had, then they went and listed a whole bunch of gun control laws that they think were constitutional, uh, including background checks. Uh, even though the list of gun control laws that they have, none of them would have met uh, the type of analysis that we just said that uh, that Thomas was uh, was arguing should be made in evaluating those laws. I think the basic problem is uh, many judges and justices like power. They don't like bright lines. Uh, and so over the years, what they've done is they've established what we call balancing tests. So when the First Amendment says Congress shall pass no law, when I was teaching in law school, one thing I would go and ask people is, what would they have had to write if they really meant Congress shall pass no law? Would they have to say Congress shall never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever pass such a law? You know, and they say, okay, that, that's clear now. Because what's happened is uh, uh, they've essentially interpreted Congress shall never pass uh, such a law as Congress shall not pass such a law unless they have a good reason. And we in the courts get to be the ones who determine whether or not they had a good reason for having the law or not. And uh, and I think uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh uh, fall into uh, that category there. If, if you don't have five votes, you don't have five clear votes. If, if Kavanaugh, for example, had gone with the other four justices, Thomas, Alito, uh, and, uh, you know, Gorsuch and uh, Amy Coney Barrett, then with five votes, then it would have been clear. But with those two kind of concurring generally in striking down New York's law, but not being uh, clear, uh, and in fact, mentioning background checks is one of the ones that uh, were exempt from the type of reasoning that Thomas had said, that's, that's where I think they may be run into problems. Biden's lawyers. If found guilty, he could get up to, uh, what, uh, 12 months to 15 years? Uh, I'm sorry, not 12 months. He could get up to 15 years in prison, right? I think perjury is five years. So, but look, it's a substantial prison term. He would be a felon. Uh, He wouldn't be able to legally buy a gun at that point. Um, But, uh, you know, look, I mean, the big issue is whether or not there's a separate justice system for uh, for the Bidens. Uh, it's just outrageous uh, how they've been slow walking these things. And at some point, pretty soon, 
they're going to start running into statute of limitations uh, for these different types of uh, violations that they have. And uh, um, and so, you know, if they just slow walk these these charges long enough, uh, you know, so it's kind of amazing how with lightning speed, I mean, this is what the Durham report was going through. Durham report was talking about when it was claims against Trump, even though they were claims that they knew were false, uh, they acted on them instantly. Uh, but when it, there were issues involving Hillary Clinton, uh, they would kind of slow walk them and try to, you know, come up with reasons why they shouldn't be doing it. And of course, uh, Biden, I mean, they've had the laptop since 2018 or so. Uh, they've had other uh, things, uh, you know, apparently this um, uh, memo that uh, Comer and Grassley have been trying to get a hold of from the FBI, which I guess now they've, they've gotten some information on. Uh, that goes back to when Biden was vice president, where he supposedly had worked out some deal with foreign power where uh, he was being accused of, uh, of for certain uh, favors, uh, getting $5 million funneled to him through his uh, family. And, yeah, it, uh, I could I, uh, just sum this up. I could graphically illustrate the odds of Hunter Biden doing time with a snowball in one hand and a blowtorch in the other. Uh, I'm sure they will do whatever they can and successfully uh, keeping him out of jail uh, just because of who daddy is. Listen, uh, John, you don't strike me as much of a gambler, but apparently uh, apparently you are. Uh, you've offered up a bet. If you've got a few minutes, I'm up against a commercial break. Can you come back and explain the bet? Sure. All right, hang on. Dr. John Lott with us. I'm Gary on Guns. Yeah, good morning. Glad to have you with us. Garson is in from Graf's and uh, brought in several firearms. We'll uh, do a brief recap at the uh, top of the hour. Uh, but then uh, we've also uh, got Chuck Basie, former state legislator, with us. And uh, Dale Roberts, uh, our resident uh, attorney. And uh, we are pleased to tell you that uh, from uh, crimeresearch.org, we've got Dr. John Lott. Uh, I never thought him much uh, much of uh, a gambler, but apparently he's uh, throwing a bet out there. What's this bet about? All right, well, I guess on, on what I think are pretty sure things, uh, it's a different story. But uh, Brazil has had huge changes in their gun control rules over the last five years or so. Uh, when Bolsonaro was president... Uh, he had a 600% increase in the uh, percent of the adult population with licenses to own a gun. You have to have a license to legally own a gun in Brazil. And, uh, uh, you know, experts from around the world, uh, academics, uh, media were predicting absolute disaster when he did that. that Brazil already had one of the highest murder rates in the world. And, uh, and they were predicting that it was going to soar uh, after uh, they had that. And now when, and that didn't happen. In fact, the homicide rate fell by 34% uh, under wow. his administration. And then uh, by contrast, uh, when he lost his reelection bid and uh, Lula, the socialist who took over, uh, the first thing he did was sign an executive order 
uh, banning uh, concealed carry, uh, making it uh, banning the sale of guns, banning the sale of ammunition. And uh, he's in the process of uh, undoing uh, the licensing changes that uh, Bolsonaro has, where he essentially will take away most people's licenses. Uh, the problem is that, uh, you know, you have the same people who were making the predictions that there was going to be disaster under Bolsonaro are now predicting, uh, you know, wonderful times ahead. Uh, and so I went to some of these academics who are prominent, you know, at, at uh, Dan Webster, uh, at the Bloomberg School of Public Health, at Johns Hopkins, uh, was out there explaining to the Washington Post recently that each 1% increase in gun ownership in Brazil was associated with a 0.6% increase in homicides, you know. If, if, if he was right under Bolsonaro with over a 600% increase in gun ownership licenses, you should have seen uh, an over 360% increase in homicides rather than uh, the fact that it fell by 34%. And uh, so these guys, there lots of them have no problem talking to the media, making predictions, speaking before Congress and state legislatures. And so I figured, you know, these guys are so confident. Why not make them put their money where their mouth is? And and not only that, but put it in a way that would hold them kind of responsible. You know, make them, make people, you know, memorialize the claims that they're making and making it so they couldn't back away from them at some point in the future. And so I bet each one of these 12, $1,000 that, each, if the if the homicide rate went up, uh, they'd pay me a thousand dollars, and if it went down, as they're <laughs> predicting, then I would pay each one of them a thousand dollars. But unfortunately, uh, none of them were willing to go and bet me. What, and, was, the, what uh, was their excuse? Why wouldn't they take you up on the bet if they were so sure they were right? Well, seven of them uh, wouldn't even respond to multiple emails uh, in my t other attempts at reaching out to them. Maybe gambling's uh, not legal in their states. Uh, <laughs> okay, that must be it. Well, they lived in all sorts of different states. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, so, and, and a couple of them uh, said it was interesting. One said that he just didn't bet. Another one said... Uh, you know, he thought maybe I might be right uh, to some extent, so he wasn't going to bet. Uh, and then uh, there was uh, John Donahue at Stanford. Uh, he didn't want to bet on uh, Brazil. He said we should go and look at past data uh, and be comparing. He wanted to compare New York City with, uh, with uh, Houston over a particular period of time. And I, and you know, I disagreed with how he was interpreting that data, but I said, look, uh, John, uh, you know, you, it's not a bet to go and say, this is the data that we already have. Uh, and you get to pick the particular years and, uh, uh, the particular crime that you want to look at there, uh, and then go and determine what will be controlled for, uh, there. Cause you already know what's there. That's not a bet. What you want to do is take something that we can agree on the terms beforehand uh, where we don't, you know, know the outcome 
and we bet on that. But uh, he was insistent. He also said you had to compare one place to another. You just couldn't look at whether homicide rates would go up or down in Brazil. And I said, fine, we can change the bet. What we can do is we can compare Brazil changes in their homicide rate to homicide rates in adjacent countries, you know, uh, Argentina and Paraguay, uh, for example. Uh, but uh, he wasn't willing to consider that either. So uh, that kind of uh, went nowhere. He kept on insisting. Uh, he kept on insisting we need to compare New York City and Houston uh, in the past. And I kept on explaining that that wasn't a bet. Funny, they're willing to do what you. They were uh, comparing, for instance. Uh, Missouri before they had the uh, permit to purchase uh, before and after but they weren't willing to do this it, it, it doesn't make sense uh, it's, it's like they've got a double standard well I uh, right, well I mean I, I pointed out with Donahue I said look John uh, here's uh, an op-ed that you just had in the Washington Post uh, here's other op-eds and comments that you've made to the media where you're predicting what's going to happen to crime rates after places have changed their, their gun control laws, uh, consistently saying that anything that weakens gun control rules uh, are going to result in more crime. Uh, here we have huge, massive changes in the rules in, uh, in Brazil. I mean, we've, it's hard to find places in the United States except for maybe in the past, uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, uh, and Chicago, when they completely banned handguns in those places. Those would be like the only places that were comparable. But even those weren't quite as extreme because in Chicago and uh, and D.C. prior to that, you didn't have uh, you didn't have concealed carry. And, uh, well, you know, and also you didn't. They, didn't ban all guns. They just banned handguns in those places. Well, so, it's a shame. It's a shame they didn't have the testicular fortitude to make the bet and stand on what they've been preaching all this time. Uh, I am clean out of time, Doctor John Lott. Thank you for being with us. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right, and then uh, thanks to Dale and Chuck and Garson as well. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day, Carpe Diem, Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.